Okay, slate, this with the horn. It started out as cabaret Tehran. Yeah. So cabaret didn't work. Cabaret and didn't the next stick. thing was, was disco. It was, in a way, it was sort of creating public space as a place of gathering and partying and self-expression. And that was something that our parents' generation had access to in Tehran back in the 70s. Hey, Wafa. Hi, Shireen. Want to introduce yourself? I know who you are, but... My name is Mohammed Abu Wafa. I am from Cairo, Egypt. Uh, I have been practicing uh, photography and filmmaking since 2010. My name is Shireen Barri. I'm a senior producer here at Brick TV. When was the first time that you heard about Disco Tehran? The first time I interacted with Arya and Mani, the co-founders of Disco Tehran, was the summer of 2017. I remember I spoke to you after you went to one of your first live events, and you said that you suddenly came across something very unexpected. You heard a song. I think the name of the song is Shashkin. So Arya and Mani, they organized a party at a bar in Lower East Side, I think. And I remember there were so many smoke machines, right? And it's like an underground bar, like a basement bar. So it got very foggy. And there were a lot of like disco lights. It wasn't really like a bar anymore. I was just in this space that I'm surrounded by people that look like me. And Arya, uh, God bless his taste in music, started playing the song. It's a very, very popular wedding song that gets played in Egypt. And it's that moment where the family of the bride and the family of the groom kind of stand in front of each other this song kind of invites this heartwarming kind of emotions that these two new families are merging together and are kind of getting married. I had no idea that I would be going to a kind of a dive bar and listen to that song. And because it hit me, I kind of screamed. You know, like I really screamed, like I lost control. And I'm not usually like the obnoxious guy in the <laughs> on the dance floor. But it just triggered so much. I reached out to Aya the day after and I'm like, I really felt something special last night. And I also think that these happenings and these events deserve to be documented. The concept is, it's not the Iranian party, it's a party that's in Iran. Well, you know, something mysterious, obscure, different, exotic, something we like. If we build a community here. I have some friends, but I think all of them are Iranian. It's the best Iranian party in the town. So. I want to talk about your background in filmmaking. And I know that you yourself started by taking photos of scattered objects in your bedroom. So take me back to that bedroom in Cairo and tell me why photography meant so much to you and why it offered a sort of distraction. I was walking around in my house one day and I opened up this cabinet and I saw so many like cameras that used to belong to my father. And I thought, okay, let me, let me take one of them, just, you know, to play around with it a little bit. 
it was kind of uh, trying to escape in these little worlds that I create using the camera. So it, it was some sort of a distraction until 2011 happened, until the revolution took place. And that gave me an incentive and a reason to go out and kind of use the tool that I acquired into telling much larger stories. Day after day this week, the demonstrators massed and went forward. The troops answer their taunts with bullets. You included archival footage of the 1979 Iranian <clears throat> Revolution, as well as uh, more recent cell phone footage scenes of the mass uprising in Iran. Making this film must have been very evocative of your own experience of the Egyptian Revolution in 2011. I'm curious to hear what kind of impact that had. It was a sensitive issue to address. How old were you when the revolution was happening? I I was 22. I, I didn't really care about politics and all of that stuff before. And these events kind of gave us a reason to take responsibility, to be more aware, be more active, and kind of speak our truth. So. Dealing with a parallel reality that happened in a different country, very close to us, yes, in culture and, and in uh, mentality and everything, but still different. I tried to ask the questions that could offer common grounds. I was back in Tehran in 2009. Uh, I was witnessing everything that was going on. It was unfolding in unexpected ways. And I think the Iranian revolution of 1979 was also another instance of the same thing. So the genealogy continues. I had many favorite moments in the piece, but one of my absolute favorites was when Arya talks about Cheers. This show Cheers, have you seen it? You've seen Cheers. Have you seen Cheers? I haven't seen have Cheers. Have you seen Cheers, Curtis? Which is so random and so unexpected, but it also makes you think about how we Iranians, we've been isolated from the world for so long, and we grow up watching these American TV shows, these random American TV shows. And I was curious to see if you yourself had any favorite moments in the piece. First of all, it's one of my favorite moments, too, because you can really see how Arya is kind of recalling the intro of Tears. Like his whole face <laughs> lights up and he's like, Sometimes you want to be where everybody knows your name. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I was like, oh shit, this thing, you know? One of my favorite moments is the part when Arya is uh, walking in a park with a camera on his chest, looking up to the sky and seeing an airplane flying over and uh, trying to get a shot of this airplane and seeing it fly by and for me it's like a, it resonates with me a lot. It's that um, kind of melancholy or that kind of uh, longing. It's an invitation to acknowledge that we miss home. Acknowledge that yes we need people, we need this warmth. I feel like a lot of immigrants um, get siloed in their communities, especially at a time when there's a lot of anti-immigrant sentiments um, and, you know, everyone sort of retreats back into their shells or their comfort zones. And spaces like Disco Tehran, I think, 
are a way to break those shells instead of finding a home where I'm safe. You make a home where everyone feels safe. You, you are absolutely right. Disco Tehran kind of is the opposite of that. And not the opposite by building walls and saying, oh, it's only for people of color, it's only for immigrants, you can't come in. No, by being open and being welcoming to everyone. You mentioned longing. Mm -hmm. And it made me think of this idea of borrowed nostalgia for a thing in place that you never really got to experience. You know, the New York Times has described Disco Tehran as reimagining the cultural moment that Arya and Mani never experienced firsthand. I find it very simplistic to reduce Disco Tehran to just like a bunch of throwback parties. If anything, it's a throw forward party. I think the point that you're referring to, Shireen, is some things that I have experienced during their parties, is that time stops. If you reach an energy level, then you can have a clarity of how to shape your own future, despite of the difficulties, despite of the stereotypes, despite of all the restrictions. For these few moments is this kind of very brief sense of freedom. I don't know if I told you about my own experience of Disco Tehran. Mm. Um, I thought you never went, Jimmy. I did. I went to like the first one. Oh, For okay. the first ones, yeah. But then I'm a bad Iranian. Yeah, you're a bad <laughs> so, Disco Tehranian. <laughs> but one of the first events that I went to, I remember my phone was dead and I was scrambling to find this venue, which was somewhere in Williamsburg. Just as I was ready to give up, Wafa, I heard the music. At first I was so confused because I was like, am I hearing this right? I realized that it's the sound of Gugush. And I heard her voice. I forgot I was in Williamsburg, that I was in Brooklyn, that I was in a country that basically hates immigrants. And it just transported me back to Iran. It wasn't just Google, it was remixed with another song that I didn't understand or I didn't even know what language it was. In that moment, I realized what Disco Tehran was. It's a conversation between two people who don't speak the same language, but they understand each other perfectly, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense, yeah. So that experience I just described made me think of what Mani said about how when you leave home, then you don't have a home in a way that you're used to. And, and so, so it becomes, becomes your mission to recreate a vision of that or a reflection of a reflection of that. It's an ongoing process of learning, negotiation, negotiation and learning. We don't have to stick to a certain idea of home or a certain idea of, oh, this is ours and this is us. You know, because we can be anything. We can really, or in my view, we can change, you know. Um, my last question for you is, what do you hope for someone who has no idea what Disco Tehran is um, to take away from, from the film after seeing it? 
I, I've actually thought about this a lot. And um, part of my uh, research for this film was to uh, gather found footage for Tehran pre-1979. And I found it difficult to find footage and, and, and videos of like parties and celebrations. I would like for this piece to be a document that uh, records how a group of immigrants, a group of um, people from all ethnicities and all races and, and a group of young people came together and how we kind of celebrated and, and had fun. speaking to me. You're welcome, Shreen June. Wafa June. <laughs> <laughs>